Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. During this episode, we will talk with Greg Bossen. Greg is a practicing CPA with a full-service accounting firm located in Atlanta, Georgia. His firm specializes in tax and accounting for nonprofits, and it is nonprofits that we will discuss today. Since 2000, Greg has been teaching QuickBooks seminars around the country for various groups and is considered to be an expert in the program QuickBooks. But he's also an expert on nonprofits, and he does this incredible job fusing those two expertise to the benefit of these organizations. Including the instruction work Greg has done through his firm and as a contractor for Intuit, he has taught over 1,500 seminars to more than 35,000 accountants, small business owners, and nonprofit organizations. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love that. I, that I feel great already. I'm even better than I thought I was. <laughs> it's quite a resume, Greg. It's quite a resume. And I'm so glad you're here because nonprofits can be intimidating for some accounting professionals. They have a very different way of managing their financials, especially their equity. And it can be, it can be sort of a Dorothy, not in Kansas anymore scenario if you're not used to it. And then some people have just kind of given up on the whole sector because they say, even if I understand how to manage it, even if I can maintain audit-ready financials, my clients never can. And then I think the third is a misunderstanding that because they're nonprofit, they don't have the money to pay my fees. And um, so, you know, but what you've proven out, what so many have proven out is, is these myths aren't true. There are processes that you can deploy to support nonprofits effectively and profitably, right? Um, Definitely. Definitely. How is it? How is it that you chose this sector? Right? I mean, you're immersed in it. How did you get there? Well, you know, I didn't choose it. It, it chose me. Really, it, it was, it's kind of funny. When I got out of college uh, in 1988, uh, I went to work for Pete Marwick, and I was in the audit department. And they had a whole group of us first years, and they had a giant board with the names along the side, and then the dates across, and then whatever audit jobs you got put on, it was purely happenstance. The manager just kind of stuck the name of the job on your row, and they didn't know who I was, and they stuck me on an audit for a nonprofit, ADPI, which is located here in Atlanta where I, where I live. So the manager liked me, and it's my very first audit. And um, as you said, um, nonprofits are extremely unique and quite weird <laughs> to um, many accountants. There's a lot more that you need to know that you don't usually have to worry about when it comes to regular businesses. And the manager liked me, and so I was forever pegged the nonprofit guy. So that's kind of how it started. It chose me. When I went on my own years later, I developed a niche um and uh, you know one of the things that you were saying which is there's so there's so few accountants out there that really understand how to work with nonprofits and what the reporting requirements are that that allowed me to develop a niche and be able to to grow my practice because you know the field was wide open and and the thing is I love it because the people that I meet that are working with the nonprofits are people that are there because they care about the mission the other thing that's really cool about working with nonprofits is that unlike regular businesses where the business owners don't usually look at the financial statements that we're preparing, nonprofits are all over the reports. You know, they want the P&L compared to budget. 
budget. They have all other, all kinds of reports that they need to look at, reports for grants, reports for special events. And so it's really a lot more rewarding. So that's kind of how I got into it, and, and I've, I've grown to love it. I love what you said about you know what their mission is. You know, in Woodard Institute, we walk accountants through the process of creating three statements, a vision statement, a mission statement, and a purpose statement. And those, I can't get into it today, but those are not the same thing. And then I tell people, now that you understand that, walk your clients through it, help them to discover if they don't know what it is, what their vision, mission, and purpose is, and then help them to be energized around it, work-life harmonized around it. But you're absolutely right. Nonprofit organizations have already established a mission statement. And a lot of times that mission statement has very visionary, far-reaching impacts change the world stuff, and there is no guessing game. You don't have to walk the clients through it, and you don't have to instill passion in them for their cause. The thing you just have to do is learn it, appropriate it, and get on board with them. You know, Share their passion and see what you're doing is helping them to be agents of world change. And, and the few nonprofits I've had the privilege of working with it was exhilarating. I felt during the entire of the engagement, even as I was making money, providing for my family, keeping my firm thriving, I felt like I was part of their organization and I was working alongside them for their cause. But Greg, there are challenges. You mentioned the complexity of the financials. What are the what are some of the other challenges? Well, so it's it's kind of it's an irony because even though a nonprofit has many more re- reporting requirements than regular businesses do, nonprofits, for example, have to report their expenses on a by program basis. How much does each program cost as opposed to how much does their fundraising cost as opposed to admin? Regular businesses don't really have to think about that. And then nonprofits will typically get restricted grants and they need to be able to report on how grant dollars are being spent. Regular businesses don't need that. The irony is there's all these specialized reporting requirements, which means that whoever's doing the bookkeeping for a nonprofit actually has to be more schooled than you would normally be schooled if you were a bookkeeper working for a regular business. The irony is the people that are doing the bookkeeping for nonprofits, they're less schooled, not more school than the people that are doing bookkeeping for regular businesses because most of these nonprofits, they don't have the resources, fancy way of saying money, to pay somebody who really knows what they're doing. Many times it'll be the executive director, either that or an administrative person who has to do all kinds of things, wear all kinds of hats. One of those things is doing the accounting and they don't have the knowledge, but yet they need more than your typical bookkeeper. So that's where I've really been able to provide a niche. In addition to that challenge, that they don't necessarily have the resources, even if they did, finding somebody who understands how to utilize QuickBooks to get the kind of reports that they need is very difficult. And that's why the um, classes that I've taught at Scaling New Heights, I think, have been so well attended because there are so many accountants out there that really don't understand how can I get QuickBooks to track grants or how do I get QuickBooks to track programs or track my volunteers without... Well, and I've got another big one. How can I clean up after the nonprofit organization who has sort of an understaffed bookkeeping department, and I know that there's some special troubleshooting steps in, involved in maintaining the financials for a nonprofit in unique ways. 
Now, Greg, um, you developed a process for working with nonprofits in QuickBooks specifically that simplifies. I mean, you audit. So by the time that the audit comes around, your firm produces the actual report. You provide assurance services, and you do it in complete compliance with generally accepted accounting principles and all the standards of reporting for nonprofit organizations. But you do not believe that the typical nonprofit should maintain audit-ready financials throughout the year, right, meaning gap financials throughout the year. Yes. So, so where's the balance, and can you briefly talk about the two methodologies? Sure. That's really that's an interesting point. So if you were really going to do this, if you were really going to keep your books all year long on gap-based, and you had kind of alluded to it, the equity section is broken into unrestricted net assets, temporarily restricted net assets, and permanently restricted net assets. Now, QuickBooks closes everything to an account called retained earnings. You can add additional equity accounts, but it's not going to close to those accounts. So yet, for gap-based balance sheets, technically, you should be making some sort of entries to move the temporarily restricted dollars into that section. And really, every single time you enter a transaction, if you spent money that's restricted, you need to also do an entry in equity to move something out of unrestricted into temporarily restricted or actually move it out of temporarily restricted into unrestricted in order to satisfy gap. I know I'm getting in the weeds here a little well, bit. Well, but that's my point is you have just caused a complete glass over for Betty Bookkeeper or for right. Bookkeeper in that back office. Well, and the so other thing the is, is yeah, see, the other thing is is that the the board doesn't know or care about mm -hmm keeping track of that. Now, right. is it important to track restricted grants? Absolutely. And so I've developed a technique where uh, uh, you can get a memorized report that will show you exactly what's happening with your restricted uh, grants, not only how much you got in, how much you spent, by what category you can compare it to a budget, but you can look at a, at a glance and see what that number needs to be at any given point in time without actually putting it into the financials. Then at the end of the year, I can give that report to the auditor, or if I'm the auditor, I can just take that report, and then I'll just make that adjustment for reporting purposes. You know, you see the board 12 times a year if you're a nonprofit. You only see the auditor once a year. It's kind of weird for me to say because I'm an auditor, but I'm actually more interested in pleasing this group 12 times a year, and we can give the number to the auditor at the end of the year. So my technique involves using the customer job field, pointing transactions that are paid for out of a grant to that field, and then then you'll be able to run basically a P&L for a customer, and you'll get the number you need without messing with retained earnings or equity because that's going to require a lot of manual journal entries that these people just don't have the ability to do. Yeah, and, and it's just it's just a pain in the neck to do, even if they understood the process. So I like the way yours is more fluid. It uses the data dynamically. It provides the management reports that they and the board need, and then you just do your journal entries once a year. Now, you teach this whole methodology in a two-part series. That, it's scaling. That's a four-hour series that's extremely in-depth. And so if anybody's been intrigued by the methodology, just know that Greg will be back. You're going to be back with us, right, Greg? I hope so. I oh, hope fantastic. so. Fantastic. Fantastic. So <laughs> I'm going to just speak in the positive and say that Greg's going to be back with us teaching nonprofits coming up at Scaling New Heights 2017 in Orlando and you can get the four-hour version of what Greg just 
ran through verbally here in the podcast. Now, uh, can I, I'm going to say one more thing, too, about the class that I thought was really cool this year. One of the things we talked about was how to track pledges, and tracking pledges there's not really a perfect way of doing it in QuickBooks, but there are multiple choices. And so this year, this past year, I went through four different ways of tracking pledges. And one of them was involving invoices. One of them was involving pending sales. One of them was involving estimates. And another one was involving sales orders. So even if you're not a nonprofit person, through the process, we explored different aspects of QuickBooks that most of the people in the room didn't know because there's so many things to track in the world of nonprofits that you learn about, you know, the cracks and crevices and the, the corners of QuickBooks that you may not have explored. So. And tips and tricks become ever important. But yeah. at some point, you need to attach some software. Now, getting to pledges, you, you developed a solution that will track those pledges that talks to QuickBooks. Can you tell us briefly about that? Sure. So the app is called Pledgeify, and it's an app that works with the online edition of QuickBooks as well as the desktop. And basically the problem is, is that when it comes to tracking donations and pledges, that's something that nonprofits need. Really hard to do it within QuickBooks. One of the examples is you can't really uh, enter a pledge into QuickBooks easily if you don't want it to show on the financial statements, and most nonprofits don't, they don't want to count their chickens before they hatch. And so that was one need. And the other thing is if you want to get a year-end thank you letter out of QuickBooks that lists the donations, you can't really do that in QuickBooks. So for those two main reasons, I developed the app, and it actually won the hackathon at the QB Connect National Conference oh, congratulations. last year. Uh, it was a group of five of us that did it. But what the app does is it basically is a cloud-based application. It costs $35 a month. It allows unlimited tracking of donations, unlimited tracking of pledges, and it basically takes you from the beginning of the process all the way to the end automatically. A person can enter a pledge and make a payment against a pledge on your website. That transaction gets processed, gets entered in the donor database, thank you letters go out, and it automatically syncs with QuickBooks real time so there's no double entry. There are tons of nonprofit donor databases out there, but none of them Think. Many of them have an import feature, but it doesn't work very well or not at all. And that's this, always amazed me that in the world of you know, thousands of QuickBooks and QuickBooks Online integrated applications, for some reason, the applications that service the nonprofit sector have not been as ambitious, as, as intentional about integrating with QuickBooks as the for-profit sector's been. Long-time frustration for me, so I'm, I'm glad you, you built this. To the core product, is there really a compelling reason for nonprofit organizations to get QuickBooks Premier Nonprofit Edition or is QuickBooks Pro fine, especially if I know how to build the reports I need? Well, you know, QuickBooks Pro is fine. QuickBooks Pro, I will say it this way. It's not as if there's a lot of extra bells and whistles that you get with a nonprofit edition. So QuickBooks Pro is fine. However, having said that, it's actually cheaper 
even though the retail price of premier nonprofit is more expensive than pro, it's actually cheaper for a nonprofit to get the premier nonprofit edition. And this is because Intuit offers this product on a website called TechSoup. And if you've not heard of it, you need to write it down. T-E-C-H-S-O-U-P, but it's a nonprofit organization whose members are nonprofits. And there's 250,000 nonprofits that are members. Your clients that are nonprofits will have heard of it. And you can buy hardware and software there. You can get the premier nonprofit edition, uh, one user license for $50 as opposed to $450, which is what the retail price is. So even though Pro is fine, go ahead and go to TechSoup.org and your client will be able to purchase it for $50, the premier nonprofit and edition. Uh, all nonprofit organizations qualify for that price? I think that you have to have a budget of less than. Five million or something like that. I'd have to look at the TechSoup website, but I've not run across very many that don't qualify. And libraries qualify as well. So just go to TechSoup.org and type in QuickBooks in the search, and you'll see all of the products that are there. You can also get the online edition there for $50 a year. Not a month, a year. Wow. Uh, so I know. They just added that a few months ago. So that's probably worth people will tune to the podcast, you know, right there. If you have any clients mm -hmm. for nonprofit organizations, there's your nugget for that whole 30 minutes that you spent mm -hmm. with us. But there's so much more here. And I want to continue by saying, if someone's listening to the podcast, how can they effectively engage nonprofits? What are the best entry points? What do they realize their primary needs are? How can I package my services where it'll be appealing to them? And am I really walking into a pro bono situation every time? Can you just tell us a little bit about the nature of your engagements with your clients? Well, I mean, it's interesting. How I got involved with it is just because it was a niche of mine. Most nonprofits out there are going to require an audit, and they certainly all have to do a 990. And because of what you had alluded to earlier, Joe, there is a idea out there that not only is it hard to do nonprofit accounting, but it's not very cost beneficial because they don't have the money to pay you. Well, that's not necessarily the case at all because as a result of those two ideas out there that are incorrect, there's not very much competition. So I almost don't want to tell you this, but if you decided <laughs> that you were going to start going for nonprofits, you would find it extremely easy to get clients. Now, where to go to do that is, you know, you start by volunteering at a nonprofit, to be honest with you. And you're an accountant. They love accountants on their board. So find an organization that you're interested in and sign up and volunteer and start getting involved with that one organization. Let me tell you something. The nonprofit communities in the various you know, cities across the country are very tight and very close. Everything I get, I get through word of mouth. So once you start doing some work for one nonprofit, if somebody will tell somebody else, and it grows from there. You can also go to the state associations of nonprofit organizations. Most states have a state association, and you can sign up to become an affiliate member. They usually have some sort of membership. You could offer to give a class for free. Many community colleges have kind of a nonprofit arm. That's another place to go to. I didn't really 
I just kind of threw that out giving a class. I don't know that that's something that you'd want to do or not. It's been wonderful for me. But I would say that finding a nonprofit that you feel good about is probably the best start. Now, we've been talking about nonprofits as a sort of a macro category, a macro niche. Can you give us a very quick bulleted rundown of some of the micro niches that exist within the category? That's interesting. All right. So, yeah, there are performing arts organizations is kind of one area. Then there are schools, usually private schools, tuition. There are membership associations is another one. And regular 501c3 charities. That's going to be your regular charity. That's another one. And then the last one are houses of worship. And each one has their own particular needs and requirements. Houses of worship are particularly unique in that they have fund tracking that nobody else has. If you I don't know if you go to a church or you go to a house of worship, a lot of times, you know, you can put money in an envelope, but you can check, oh, this goes to the building fund, this goes to the choir fund. And somebody wants to know how much money is in that fund at any given point in time. That is very unique. It's a niche within a niche. And I thought about doing a webinar across country just for houses of worship to show them how to track funds. But, so how, can uh, those, you give it to us really quickly? I mean, is it something you can yeah. utilize out? How do you track funds? You use the class feature to track a fund. And see, classes for a regular nonprofit are used to track program versus admin versus fundraising. And the reason why for a regular nonprofit that's what classes are for is because regular nonprofits have to do a 990 and they have to do an audit and the expenses have to be shown like an Excel spreadsheet where the rows are the natural categories and then the classes are a column for program, a column for fundraising, and a column for admin. It's perfect. Churches and houses of worship in general, they don't have to do an audit. They don't have to do a 990. They can do anything. Okay, I always <laughs> joke about it in the classes. I mean, they could be, you know, running a gambling ring. Nobody would care. That's not true. But uh, the <laughs> well, point their members, is, their members might care. Yeah, their members. <laughs> the might government care. wouldn't care. Yeah. And so the point is, they don't need classes for program admin and fundraising. So it frees the class list up. So you use the classes to track the funds. So every transaction gets pointed to a fund, all the income and the expenses. And then you build a report, which is fairly complicated to build. Once you build it, you memorize it. It's a custom report where the rows, it's a custom summary report if you really know this stuff, where the rows are the classes and the columns are the total. And then you can you basically end up with a report where for every fund, how much money is in that fund, and at the very bottom of it, when it totals, that total equals the balance of the bank account. And you can pop that report up at a moment's notice, and it makes churches and houses of worship so happy. It's mm. crazy. You can't, by the way, get that report in the online edition. Got to have the desktop for it. All right. So there's something there. And then maybe it would be a good idea to have you on a, a webinar at some point. So if you're a podcast listener, just uh, you know, stay tuned on our webinar series, and I'm going to see if I can get Greg back to show us some of these tricks, because I think we got a mental image of it if we're a very savvy QuickBooks consultant, QuickBooks Pro Advisor here in the audience. But for those that couldn't visualize that out, I'm sure they'd love to see it in action. I have one more question before we wrap up, and I'm hoping you answer it a certain way. If not, I'm going to steer you to a certain answer. 
Okay. okay, so should you just answer it? No, 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 no. I want to see if you go there. I want to see if you go there. Okay. Okay. All right. So you have broken into the national training space as a nationally renowned trainer. You don't just speak at Scaling New Heights. You speak all over the country, and many, many. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of your peers look to you as one of the definitive sources for servicing nonprofits, especially with technology and QuickBooks. How did you break into this space, and how has it affected your practice? So it's interesting. You know, I always did public speaking before when I was in high school and college, and, you know, I actually wanted to be an actor. So, of course, I became an accountant. Kind of ridiculous. (laughs) But I missed being in front of people. And, you know, in the year 2000, people started coming to me with this accounting package called QuickBooks and saying, hey, you don't need to charge me for anything anymore except the tax return because I've got everything in QuickBooks. So, you know, I bought QuickBooks not knowing much about it so that I could see their data file. And, of course, it was a big mess. And, you know, office supplies was listed as a bank account. Nothing was reconciled. In those days, accountants were really upset with QuickBooks because, you know, the clients would show up with this big mess. So I decided to take a class. And so I took a class, offered a two-day class in QuickBooks, and I sat in the back of the room, and I'm like, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And so I ended up teaching for that company. And I taught for two years. I kept my accounting firm. And let me tell you something. If you want to understand something, stand up in front of a room and try and teach it for eight hours. There you go. You'll... You will learn. And if you do have a gap in your knowledge, that audience is going to filter out that gap. And then you're going to to fill it because of embarrassment. You're going to make sure you fill it. (laughs) And then you're going to be, okay, so can I pick up the story from here? This is where it gets really good. So I went to one of those classes by one of those companies. And it wasn't because I didn't understand QuickBooks. I was actually already myself a national trainer to accounting professionals and an author for McGraw-Hill on QuickBooks. I came, to be honest, because there were a lot of small business owners in the room. It was in Atlanta, and I knew that I could meet people and get clients. So I paid for my registration, and I sat in this room full of about, I think it was about 100 small business owners or so. And you were up there. You were knocking out of the park, and I thought, this guy is really, really good. He knows his stuff. And you were messing with the audience and picking at people, and we were just having a great time. And so I got to meet you. I I stayed afterwards, shook your hand. We're both from Atlanta, and we got to talking and everything. So I don't know, gosh, what was about a year later, two years later or something? Yeah. I'm teaching Mm -hmm. for Intuit. We've just launched this big national tour. We've got an event in Chicago with something like 300 people in it. And the day before that event happened, whoever was supposed to teach got terribly, terribly sick and couldn't come. And I couldn't come because I was speaking in Mountain View on the Intuit campus, and Intuit had nobody to send. They were going to have to cancel this event on the new features of QuickBooks or something. And um, so by sheer coincidence, I had just taught for Intuit at some Sheraton or something in, in the San Francisco area, and you were there for that company, complete coincidence, teaching on QuickBooks to small business owners. And so I turned to the guide into it and I said, I know this sounds crazy, but this guy in here teaching this QuickBooks class, if you fly him on a red eye to Chicago, he can do it. <laughs> so, 
And then you have no idea this hallway conversation is going on. And, and you would have been the first one to go with no preparation. No, I can't, you know, but I, I, let me just say, so you come in and you tell me, you know, we need to, you to teach if you could teach this class for us just this one time. And, and I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, I need a about a month or so to prepare, you know, right. I tell you a couple, you know, where is this class? Well, it's in Chicago. So here we are in California. I'm like, well, when is it? They're like, tomorrow, tomorrow morning. 30 a.m. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? All right, so this is where it gets really, really cool because in this moment of insanity, Greg says yes. And then it's my job. You have to. You have, you have to. to, right? When something like that falls in your lap. Yeah, and it's, an it's my job. You have to do it. You got to. My job now is to get Greg ready to teach in Chicago the following morning before his red eye leaves at 10 o'clock that night. So we hole up in my hotel room, and I've got about four hours to prepare you to teach for four hours, right? Right, <laughs> so right. Fortunately, you are a quick study, but this is my favorite part of the story. Right as you're about to jump in the cab for what's probably going to be like about 10 o'clock, yeah, like 10 o'clock 10 at, night, at night, yeah. right? Just before you're going to jump in the cab to go take this red eye. So you'll land just in time to go teach with no sleep and never having taught it before in four hours of prep, you go, I don't have a shirt, you know, because into it, it had their instructors really special. So I grabbed the shirt I've been wearing all day off my back and threw it at you. <clears throat> so you also taught it in a dirty shirt. And I will tell you, yes. and I'm going to aggravate you for life about this, is I never got that shirt back. So just I still have the shirt. There's, <laughs> no, you're not getting that shirt back. That really changed things for me. That really did. It was, And that's why you're one of the most, you know, you're still one of the most important people in my professional life, definitely. Well, you, thank you, you, Greg. Well, you saved our necks that day, too. And, and, and I will wrap it up by saying this, that embracing your full potential involves a measure of risk and courage. And the, the theme of Scaling New Heights 2017 is face the Yeti, because we are fully convinced if you're going to scale new heights, there are things on that mountain you have to overcome, or you're simply going to stop climbing or even start descending the mountain. So, and you overcame a couple of Yetis there. And there was, there was the courage factor, the risk factor, the exhaustion factor, but mostly the risk and the courage. And the payoff for you has now been an established career as a national trainer. And I'm not going to tell you that risk always pays off, folks, but I'm going to tell you that if you don't swing, you'll never hit. So. Well, and it continues. You know, that's what life is all about. Yep. It really it is. is. It is. So, Greg, thank you so much for being here. We look forward to continuing to use you and, and work with you as an instructor on in our various offerings, especially Scaling New Heights. I know you knocked it out of the park at 16. The reviews were fantastic and appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thank you for tuning in today and our conversation with Greg Bothan. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.